Tonight I'd like to speak about the five aggregates or skandhas and the five wisdoms. In the Buddhist tradition and meditation, great value is given to approaching reality with an attitude of careful investigation and direct observation. What one comes to see as real or true over and over again through direct, immediate seeing and experiencing, unclouded by our unprecise, habitual misconception, is what is called insight or wisdom. The seeing and experiencing of reality as it is, as it truly is. In looking at ourselves, our body, heart and mind, looking at the human being, we see and experience a number of specific aspects or perhaps groups or properties and functions that make up a person. In one way of looking we can distinguish two aspects of being, physical reality and psycho-mental reality, or in other words, body and mind. And mind in Buddhism usually meaning heart and mind. Feeling, perception, emotion, volition, thought and consciousness, one package of everything that is non-material about us. So in this way we can distinguish body and heart, mind. We can also distinguish five basic groups of properties and functions. It's the five skandhas or khandhas, often translated as the five aggregates, which doesn't say much more really. They are form or physical bodily elements. They're feeling tones or Vedana, their perceptual functions, their emotional and mental volitional functions, and fifth one, consciousness itself. Understanding and recognizing clearly these aggregates, which is what we are, does not does not only reveal a lot in terms of our functioning, but also is a great help in recognizing the selfless nature, the non-separate, non-independent nature of being, of our own being. So let's look at them one by one for a moment. The first one is form, rupa, which refers to all bodily, physical, material forms. And according to Buddhist tradition, form and body is made up of four basic elements, earth, water, fire and air. And what is meant by these four elements isn't so much some esoteric basic substance, but rather different manifestations and functions that rule physical reality 
like earth simply refers to what we could perhaps call extensiveness the fact that material things take up space and that can be directly perceived or experienced as hardness or softness or heaviness, lightness, pressure and as most or the majority of the sensations we feel in the body in meditation or elsewhere fire refers to temperature the fact that material things vibrate at certain rates and thus can be directly perceived and felt as cold or cool or warm or hot or burning hot that whole range air refers to motion the fact that material things move and thus air can be perceived and felt as motion things that move within the body and water refers to cohesion the fact that material is held kept together by forces of cohesion and it's said that this one can't be felt or perceived by our body senses because it connects its function is to connect and thus dissolves the impact of things that meet and touch also part of the aggregate of form are tongue and taste, nose and smell, ear and sound, eyes and visual forms so the first aggregate or skanda is form the second one is experiential feeling tone Vedana and I want to use the Pali or Sanskrit term here because it's one of the most often misunderstood concepts in Buddhist teachings next to emptiness which is worse in terms of being misunderstood with Vedana it's because we have no proper equivalent for this word Vedana in our languages so we call it feeling, tone or experiential texture or taste of each and every experience it's how any experience feels can be blissful or pleasant or neutral or unpleasant or painful and it's not feelings or emotions even though we use that word feeling tone because there is no other word we're not talking about feelings and emotions it's the exper experiential texture of any moment's experience for example the thought of a self-judgment or condemnation might feel unpleasant that unpleasantness is the Vedana a beautiful view or sight probably feels pleasant so not the view but the pleasant aspect of that experience is Vedana a bitter medicine is prob probably creates an unpleasant experience of taste that just the unpleasantness just how that taste tastes that's the Vedana an in-breath might have a neutral feeling tone doesn't feel especially pleasant or especially unpleasant then that tone of neutrality just as the way that breath feels is Vedana a moment of anger might feel quite painful that painfulness that painful aspect of the experience is Vedana not the anger itself or a tension in the neck might be unpleasant again that unpleasantness is Vedana 
Vedana is defined simply as experience that which sort of tastes how it is perhaps the element of our being that has the capacity to experience there are infinite possibilities of Vedana on the scale from blissful to painful from intense to very subtle with bodily, sensory, emotional and mental events one could perhaps say that it's the receptive part of our capacity to experience Vedana is an aspect of our being with enormously far-reaching implications and effects because it's to Vedana that we react over and over and over again with attachments and aversion with desire and hatred with jealousy and fear and all the rest as we can see over and over again in our meditation it's the pleasant and unpleasantness that we react to it's very important it's a very important area to look into to really be aware of in our practice if we want to be free of suffering we want to understand how there's never any real rest within ourselves and if we want to find out what it would take for rest to be there so this the aggregate form that of feeling tone or vedana the third aggregate is that of perception or discernment it refers to those functions which perceive things discern one thing from another recognize them for what they actually are give them names that which organizes the raw experiential input or data into a meaningful pattern or whole I hear that there's a few thousand inputs a second and it's filtered down to 200 that's still a lot and out of that perception makes sense makes a world with people and names and things we know and have meaning for us together with the next aggregate perhaps it's the DOS of our computer the data organization system for example to be able to look at the rows and say I see a rose there's a number of complex processes of visual perception discerning the colors and forms singling them out from the other surrounding shapes and colors running through the mind a few hundred thousand times until another process the so-called synthetic process starts to come into play which forms the entire composite image of the rose into a synthesis of the parts perceived beforehand then the process grasping the meaning runs through many many times then lastly grasping the name sets in which makes up a name if the name is already known as in rose three more processes run a process called convention and a process called comparison comparison upon which the conclusion this is a rose is formed 
And finally, the process called name grasping applies the class name, in this case Rose, to the object. These complicated processes of imagination, reproductive and constructive memory, conception, discrimination, judgment, classification, all follow one another so rapidly in succession that the perceiver considers that he or she sees the rose almost instantaneously, isn't it? We see this thing, and next thing is, it's a rose. Such is the complexity uh, of processes distinguishable in an act of external perception. I wonder who found out that this is happening. This rapid dynamic process, of course, also involves the physical organs, in this case of um, eye connected to the body and also the actual outer or sometimes inner phenomena that are perceived, so they are the first aggregate again. It involves the feeling tone which arises with each sequence, the second aggregate. And all of it is known by consciousness, which has just the function to know things, which is the fifth aggregate. And there is constant, with that, there is constant ongoing response and reaction to all of it, which is what the force aggregate is all about. The force aggregate, or skanda, we're made up of, is formations and volitional activities and tendencies. So we have form, we have Vedana, we have perception or discernment. And then this one, formation or volition is the active part of our heart and mind functions. It includes all the wholesome and the unwholesome emotions, all the mental factors and qualities it includes greed and hatred and delusion, as much as renunciation, letting go, kindness, wisdom. It includes sleepiness, distraction, restlessness, as much as wakefulness, concentration and calm. All these qualities are part of that aggregate. It's the motivating and the moving force behind all our actions of body, of speech, and of mind. So it's also that which creates karma. All the intentions, the motives behind our actions that move us to act, that color our actions, that karmically color and drive our actions. That's part of this aggregate. The fifth aggregate, last one, is consciousness. Like the reform, and then Vedana and perception, all those perceptive functions and all the volitional factors, they're all part of mind or heart, mind, and then consciousness too. And it's just the knowing faculty 
consciousness is defined as clear and knowing itself empty of form or content but it has that capacity that incredibly mysterious capacity to know things which you can hardly say anything about it except that it somehow knows what it means it does not have any form you can describe it otherwise with in, in negations it does not have any form it has no color, no shape thus it does not have a size or an extension in space we can speak of an expansive mind or a narrow mind but it's not really the mind that we refer to the consciousness we refer to it's more how it feels when we speak of that it cannot be located anywhere we can't say where it is so in this sense it is empty yet it is very powerful it has the power to know things or we could describe the same capacity in different terms and say it's incredibly dynamic and it has the power to manifest as appearance it's saying the same thing and we can you know this debate whether it's knowing things or whether it makes things appear or reflect it does this mysterious thing we call knowing things or reflecting there are six kinds of consciousnesses depending on their object or perhaps one could say depending on their wavelength or depending on the organ their visual consciousness connected to the eye is auditory sound consciousness connected to the ear olfactory or smell consciousness connected to the nose gustatory taste consciousness connected to the tongue tactile bodily consciousness connected to the body and mental emotional consciousness connected to the heart and mind so there's six So in this way, connected and supported by our body, the form aggregate, our inner and outer world is experienced or tasted by this feeling tone or Vedana aggregate. It's discerned and given meaning, organized by the perception or discernment aggregate, acted upon by the aggregate of formation and volition and it's known by the aggregate of consciousness this is who we are and there's no one else extra behind it there's no one you know this ultimate thread in it or above it or, or above it who has it or is it except this play of phenomenon that does all the things we know as being life in its fullness what we are is this incredibly dynamic pattern of interacting elements and functions arising in closely linked dependency on each other with no static solid graspable entity within the whole of this process 
seeing this clearly in direct experience and insight is very liberating. It's the understanding and realization of interdependence or interbeing and of non or of non-independent self-existence or it's often called simply non-self. And whenever we truly live in that understanding, we're free. As one monk said, no self, no problem. <laughs> Whenever our mind identifies with and grasps at any of those five aggregates as being I or me or mine, we're bound and we suffer. And one could perhaps say, lots of self, lots of problem. It's exactly where the difference lies of freedom or bondage. Now in addition, it's not only such that within the five khandhas or the five aggregates, or in addition to them, no independent, solid I or self can be found. But each one of the skandhas too, each one of the aggregates too, is empty of being something substantial, substantial, graspable, in itself. They arise and disappear moment to moment, depending on causes and circumstances, and when looked into, cannot be seen to exist in a substantial, real way. Thus the text says, Physical forms are like balls of foam. Feeling tones are like bubbles. Perceptions resemble mirages. Volitional factors or mind states are like banana tree trunks. And consciousnesses resemble magical illusions. A vivid show of mere appearance, sparkling and yet insubstantial. Understanding this transparent, ingraspable, empty nature directly, intuitively, unconceptually, is to realize ultimate reality. It's the heart and mind opening totally in non-grasping, in non-clinging, and in non-resistance, in non-aversion, in deep peace and relief. Now, according to certain Buddhist teachings, each of these five aggregates or skandhas is a very fundamental aspect or feature of our being. When we see and experience them in a deluded way, we are, or at least we seem to be, samsaric beings that are torn by conflict and suffering in a greater or lesser degree. When we see and experience them in an undiluted manner, we will recognize them in their original or primordial nature, being aspects of Buddha wisdom, perfect from the beginning. And then they're known as the five wisdoms, or what is also called the five jinas, meaning the five victorious Buddhas, victorious over all delusions or kleshas or 
disturbing emotions. And they're also often mistakenly called the five Dhyani Buddhas. Maybe some have heard this uh, kind of label. When the empty, ingraspable, unborn nature of reality of all things is seen, it's the so-called wisdom of reality that has dawned. In a being that's fully enlightened, free of all unwholesome emotions, in a Buddha, this wisdom of reality is the ultimate state of peace for that being. Now this model really describes the Buddha, the ideal being, and yet I find the description has great relevance for us, since these wisdoms are our own basic nature. So when the awareness of a realized being rests in the wisdom of reality, that that rests in the wisdom of reality turns towards the forms, the forms of this universe, inner and outer, it sees them as they really are. And then the aggregate, the form, all bodily and visual objects and sounds, smells and tastes are recognized as mere appearance, much like reflections in a mirror, which appear but are not truly existing and can't be grasped in a real sense. See, the things in the mirror, they're there. You can look at them, they seem quite real. And yet, they aren't quite. In this way, the form aggregate is recognized or dawns as the so-called mirror-like wisdom. Though all forms seem to appear and change and disappear, subject to birth and death, nothing has ever really moved. Nothing has stirred from perfect stillness. Much like the reflection in the mirror, which is seemingly there doing its thing, smiling when we smile in it, or looking depressed if we look into it in a depressed way, or mirroring beautiful landscapes, or anything we turn it to. Looking as if it really were there, and yet it isn't. Thus the wisdom of reality sees or rests in the empty, unborn nature. The mirror-like wisdom sees the mere appearance of all things. That's like two sides of the same coin, two aspects of the same reality. Because each and every experience comes to us with the feeling tone, Vedana, be it pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, as we have seen before. This Vedana, the second aggregate, is the basis for all, for all re- reactiveness of like and dislike, desire and hatred, and all the rest. Now, as the empty, ungraspable nature of all experience is realized, as all things are recognized as just mere appearance, the feeling tones of pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral, 
can be met with great equanimity, can be met with great inner balance, and thus the wisdom of equality arises in connection with the aggregate of Vedana. One then is equally open and near to all beings and all things. And it's really the ability to feel, to experience pleasure and pain which makes up sentientness, which makes up sentient beings, which is why we're called sentient beings. And it's in this that we're all equal and alike. Seeing the empty, ungraspable nature of things also implies that we have recognized and deeply experienced the interdependence, the interconnectedness of all beings and things, because it's the same thing. Emptiness means being interwoven and interconnected into being. In Thich Nhat Hanh's words, we're highly aware of interbeing, the oneness and thus equality of all beings and things. And all the illusory boundaries and all the illusory sense of separateness dissolves and a deep compassion and care for all beings arises. Thus the wisdom of equality is yet another aspect or another side of the same coin which includes the two previous wisdoms of reality and of mirror-like. So there must be coins with three sides to them somehow. Again, having clearly perceived and discerned the empty, ungraspable nature of things, having perceived the seamlessly interwoven interconnectedness, into being, it becomes clear that every moment within that close interconnectedness and all actions at, ver- at every instant affect everything that's around us, uh, around it, have effects and results. If this is how reality is, this seamlessly interwoven existence, then anything that happens within that, anything that, any action in there will affect, must affect everything around it. We see that nothing happens in a vacuum, whether it is our thoughts and attitudes within, or our speech, or our deeds. It unfailingly affects ourselves and others. That's called karma. just like a stone thrown into water that creates waves and ripples that go out in every direction and they go out for quite some duration in time. Clearly perceiving and recognizing this fact is none other than the wisdom of clear discernment. The original or primordial nature of the third skant, that is skant of perception. It clearly discerns how life functions, what its laws are, and thus it sees clearly 
what leads to suffering and what leads to happiness which means it understands karma and it sees where liberation comes in so the wisdom of clear discernment is yet another aspect of the same coin that there must be multi-dimensional coins somehow we almost have it now with the freedom that comes from realizing the empty ungraspable nature of reality and the mere mirror-like appearance of things motivated by the compassion and care that comes from the understanding of our connectedness through the wisdom of equality and with the clear understanding of what's helpful and skillful and what is not, what isn't of the wisdom of clear discernment then one acts for the sake of all sentient beings one acts for the benefit of all of life quite effortlessly, joyfully fearlessly and wisely that's this kind of volition or formation functioning as the all accomplishing wisdom and rather than a coin one might want to compare these wisdoms perhaps to a many faceted jewel or crystal it's not different things it's just different facets of understanding how things are with this all accomplishing wisdom although one lifts and acts in a way that comes out of compassion with understanding and wisdom within this seemingly appearing, appearing existence one rests or one peacefully abides in the realization of the empty nation of the empty nature the wisdom of reality which is the first one where we started with the original nature of the aggregate of consciousness so we could say that this wisdom of the ultimate nature of reality is the realm of peace and of freedom for oneself and that's the central one while the other four wisdoms around it we could perhaps say are concerned with this conventional apparent world and one's actions within it one's understanding of it and one's connectedness to it so the indestructible peace on one hand and the merely appearing actions for all interconnected merely appearing beings on the other hand are really one and the same thing they're not separate as the poem says the bodhisattva acts unmoving and flower petals fall though we're not that realized though we're not enlightened Buddhas with this fully realized wisdom we can be inspired by it and perhaps we can emulate 
this way of being. We can cultivate or if you prefer connect with this kind of wisdom and compassion. That really is our practice. And I'd like to just add a footnote. Most of you must be familiar with this famous Tibetan mandala. The paintings or actual three-dimensional luminous palaces with the central Buddha or other form of enlightened being like the enlightened Tara, for example. And with one or more Buddhas in each of the four directions or the four quarters. The beautiful art with deep archetypal meaning. And there's also some hocus pocus and romantic ideas that have cropped up among Westerners around these mandalas. What they really are, these mandalas, are representations of these five wisdoms which are none other than the fully transformed five aggregates, five principal aspects of the human being, which are really none other than our very own nature. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.